Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Like a lesson learned Walking out from the cave Now in the light Respectful of all these words I Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I'm your host. So today is February 28th, 2012, and we're coming up on a one-year anniversary where I started my Blog Talk Radio back in March, and it has really been an interesting and fun ride here as uh, I explored um, having a radio show and having people call in and interviewing you know, authors of books like From Death Do I Part by Amy Lee Coy to Hank Hayes who wrote um, You've Been Lied to, The Truth About the Addiction Recovery um, Industry. And um, hey there, Sal. we got a few people in the chat room. It's a quiet little show here today. We're supposed to have Dennis calling in who is a blogger that I met from Orange Papers who um, grew up in the um, culture and meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the number to call in is 818-475-9211. Dennis uh, M. is his handle. And um, so I met him on the Orange-Papers forum. If you don't know, there's a forum there now. There wasn't one, and uh, Orange has a lot of great information about the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
So, uh, again, hi there, Sal. And uh, we are waiting for him to call in, but um, I'm just going to start. So uh, we have some news. There's some breaking news. And, um, uh, you know, I was, like, howling when I saw this one. So this is from The Atlantic, and it was posted, I think, um, today, or maybe posted on the 17th, but uh, let's see. How Sexual Deviance Could Have Crippled Alcoholics Anonymous by Amanda Smith. Instead of a fight for her mother's inheritance and risk exposing her sexuality, Felicia Giziaka dropped a lawsuit to protect a developing AA. Wow. Let me read that again. Instead of a fight for her mother's inheritance and risk exposing her sexuality, Felicia Giziaka dropped a lawsuit to protect a developing AA. Now, for those of you who know or don't know what I've been working on, this was such a huge breaking story that I was like screaming. I was like going, oh my God, this is amazing. And um, because it really all started with addressing 13-stepping and uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous and how bad it is and I had no idea at the time, which was like three years ago, that Bill Wilson was a sexual predator himself. But it turns out, so let's read it on. Um, this is a three-part series from Amanda Smith about the drinking life of Countess Felicia Gisiaka, daughter of famed newspaper edi- editor Sissy Patterson and the other women involved in the early Alcoholics Anonymous movement. In 1943, Countess Felicia Gisiaka severed relations with her mother, the notorious Washington, D.C. newspaper publisher and Chicago Tribune Harris. Wow. Sissy Patterson, in what would have proved to be the last of the many vicious drunken rows they had engaged in over the previous 20 years. Several months later, through her psychiatrist, Dr. Florence Powdermaker, boy, what a name, okay, <laughs> Powdermaker, um, excuse me, <coughs> Felicia was introduced to Bill W. and his small but growing fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous, in New York City. For the first time in her life, Felicia experienced a sense of community and belonging. In her sponsor, Marty Mann, Felicia had found a stalwart, lifelong friend. By the end of the Second World War, Felicia had committed herself to a life in recovery. After their mother-daughter divorce, there had been almost no communication between Felicia Kiziaka and Sissy Patterson, a Chicago Tribune heiress and the publisher of Washington Times Herald. Wow. So her mother was the publisher of the Washington Times Herald. This gets more interesting, guys. Okay, The most widely read newspaper in the nation's capital at the time. As a result, the telegram Sissy received from her estranged daughter in the spring of 1947 sparked more surprise and suspicion than it kindled any hope of reconciliation. In light of Mrs. Marty Mann's upcoming lecture engagements in Washington, Felicia wondered, could her close friend and AA sponsor stay at Sissy's mansion on DuPont Circle? Mm. So these were the people that were you know, promoting at least Marty Mann, the kind of people who were promoting Alcoholics Anonymous back then. Sissy, let's see, um, 
Marty Mann was for a time the head of the women's division of Alcoholics Anonymous and the only person I never knew who had great influence on Felicia, Sissy explained shortly afterward in a letter to her reactionary cousin, Colonel Robert Rutherford McCormick, publisher of the Chicago Tribune. Well, that would be all right, too, she continued, betraying her anxiety as to the exact nature and extent of the proposed guests away over her daughter. If Marty were not a notorious lesbian, and that is rather hard to swallow. I guess they didn't like that. Perhaps honoring the many efforts that friends had made to reconcile mother and daughter over the years, perhaps for other reasons, Sissy Patterson did invite Marty Mann to stay at her home on DuPont Circle, graciously placing her household staff as well as her personal secretary at her guest's disposal. For reasons that go unrecorded, however, the hostess, the hostess, was absent while the friend and mentor who had so profoundly changed her daughter's life was in town. On her rigorous national lecture tours, and so if any of you don't know this, and I'm just going to keep going on with this story until Dennis calls in, which I hope you do, Dennis. We're supposed to talk about growing up inside of uh, the culture, you know, growing up as a kid in AA, in an AA house and being brought to meetings and then told you're an alcoholic when you're like 15 or 13 or whatever the ridiculous um, thing that um, parents have done to their children, which um, we all know here, uh, 818-475-9211 is the call in, 818-475-9211. If you're out there, Dennis, and you somehow don't have the number. So we've got to read this because this is an unbelievably breaking story. Okay, so... Marty Mann's on her rigorous national lecture tour, which I heard was like 500, you know, speeches a year for the first five years that she was promoting AA. Mrs. Marty Mann repeated what would become a familiar refrain. We must overcome the stigma of sin that has been fastened upon the alcoholic if we, if we, are, to be, if we are to get anywhere. But while she and her colleagues made sweeping headway into disassociating alcoholism from venality in the popular mindset, Mann was deeply aware that the blossoming organization to which she had devoted her life stood to be irrevocably blighted by any taint of what was considered at the time to be sexual deviance. As a result, already burdened with the public relations encumbrances of being a recovering alcoholic and a woman, she took careful steps to prevent her sexual orientation from becoming known outside of her circle of close friends or publicity associated either with her work for the National Committee for Education on Alcoholism or with the Alcoholics Anonymous movement in general. Indeed, as her biographers Sally and David R. Brown put it, in her distinguished professional life, Marty's use of the title Mrs., served the purpose of blurring her real orientation. Within the necessary insular gay and lesbian community of Manhattan and Fire Island, Mann and Priscilla Peck were known as a committed couple. To outsiders, they were friends and roommates. They did nothing to hide the fact that they lived together. Indeed, their unmarried heterosexual counterparts did so customarily for the sake of economy and safety. By the early 1950s, the couple would sell the cottage at the Cherry Grove, um, where Felicia had been a constant presence over the preceding decade. As Fire Island developed a reputation as a gay and lesbian summer retreat during those same years, Marty arrived at the conclusion that she could not risk the exposure that her continued presence there might occasion. 
Such fears were legitimate inasmuch as she and her circle appear to have been threatened with exposure directly or indirectly during Felicia Giziaki's international sensationalized efforts to break her mother's will in the autumn and the winter of 1948. So I cannot read this whole. It's very, very long. So um, I am going to, we can just take on some calls. Um, in fact, I just got this story in before uh, I came on air here, and I have not a chance to um, let's see what happened with the two of them. Uh, if I, I don't know. I can't read it. Maybe somebody on the bloggers wants to go out and read it. Hey, Sal, how you doing? Um, I think that, uh, wait, wait, where did you go? I see that you are typing, but I can't see it, what you're saying, Sal. Um, well, anyway, Dennis, 818-475-9211. So uh, a lot of you know about what's going on in New York I wonder if you know about this, um, Sal. Oh, let's see. Sal wrote, cult leaders, many A sponsors, exploit vulnerable and trusting people. Similar to the disgraced guru Swami uh, Muktananda of Oregon, who took sexual advantage wow, of many of his female, female devotees. Wow, I, I didn't know about that story. Um, but hey, Sal, it's really good to see you and... Uh, talk if you want to call in and if not it's okay to listen he used his position to amass a harem oh my god was this recently is this like in the recent news it's really hard to believe that this stuff goes on but it does so the next story starts the value of friends and sponsors at Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and um Let's see. You know, I guess what I got to do is I'm going to have to just read this and see what happened. Uh, well, you know, it starts out with saying that there was a lawsuit. So it said here, um, instead of a fight for her mother's inheritance and risk exposing her sexuality, she dropped a lawsuit to protect a developing AA. So I have a feeling where it's going, but I'm not going to say it until I read it all. Um, let's see, um, you know, yeah, it's, I, I can't tell if she sponsored her and she abused that position of power or not, um, so I'll read it a little bit later, but I just did, um, get off the phone with, um, oh, let's see, hi, let's see, he used his position to, um, oh, several different, several decades ago, Sal was saying, I just got off the phone with um, a person that is dealing with the step in, stepping stones problem. And um, what's going on, if any of you don't know, is that they are uh, the people who are on the board of the Stepping Stones Foundation are trying to uh, get it to be a landmark status. And so I was speaking to one of the uh, neighbors and um, it turns out that, uh, you know, they have been, I thought, I couldn't believe this, they have been busing. So there's travel agents all over the country. She even said all over the world that sell, you know, let's go for a pilgrimage to like Bedford and Katona. We're going to take a bus and we're going to go see where Bill Wilson and Lois Wilson lived, you know. And they bring a huge bus now where this is located is uh in Bedford, New York and it's 
um, where there are, you know, one-and-a-half-acre lots, and it's a very small road, like there's nowhere really to park, so it's a two-lane road, but not enough so that anyone could even park and stay there. And these people have been coming in droves into this little neighborhood, and uh, the neighborhood is really... um, I mean, I would be out of my mind and would really try to stop it, but uh, they are um, trying to change. Let me see where I can get to this story. They want uh, to make it like a landmark status. It's already historic, and uh, I don't know who was behind that, making you know a house that Bill Wilson lived a historic place, but um, they want to make it a landmark status, and the landmark status would be like, the Statue of Liberty, you know. Um, yeah, you can call in. Call in at um, 818-475-9211. I would love it. Uh, Dennis was supposed to call in, and he didn't. I had a couple of other friends who are um, still in the program, and um, but Dennis is somebody who was really forced at a really young age, had parents that were completely immersed, and then... Um, uh, he left. Hey there. Hi, Monica. Great to speak with you again. Hope hey, Sal. How are you? Great. You uh, it's a pleasure. Great shows, really. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, wow. Did you see this? Um, we want to talk about Stepping Stones or this story that just broke here about Marty Mann. Did you know about this stuff with Marty Mann? Oh, uh, no. Please uh, form me. Well, um, it seems that this this is how the story opens. It says how sexual deviants could have crippled Alcoholics Anonymous. So um, the fact that they covered that she was a lesbian, okay, that was one thing. Is that what they're talking about? But it says under that, instead of a fight for her mother's inheritance, a risk exposing her sexuality, Felicia Gizyaka dropped a lawsuit to protect developing AA. So I'm curious to get to the bottom of the story, what the lawsuit was about. Hmm. So we just, normally before my show, I go in and and do a search for stories dealing with, um, you know, what we're working on. And this one came up, but it's quite a long, I mean, I just found it and it was, I couldn't get to it fast enough to read it all. You know what I mean? To see... Where I mean, it's like five, six pages long, and then there's another one that. Um, let me ask you this: because when did you sure. find out that Bill Wilson was a sexual predator? That he was a oh, um, uh I think it was actually through the Orange Papers. You know, mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, actually, a friend of mine. I think I told you about him. Uh, and what was it? Um, yeah, it was through the friend of mine who, who introduced me to Smart Recovery. And, at first, he told me about it. Then I then I uh, researched with the uh, 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 orange papers and went more in depth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But AA will never tell you that. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, they, I have a book here that um, that I got just so I could do more research, and it's called um, Bill W. The Biography of an Alcoholics Anonymous Co-founder, Bill Wilson, by Francis Hardigan. And I was told that um, in one of the chapters, she, the other women, here it is, in the mid-1950s, when Bill was in his early 60s, he began an affair that was different than any he had had before. The woman's name was Helen Wynn, and she was in her early 40s when Bill met her. So that means 
that he was 20 years older than she was. Um, let's see, women, uh, Helen and Bill were together some 15 years. They saw each other regularly in New York and later in Pleasantville, a town 15 minutes south of Bedford Hills where Helen brought, bought a home. Helen Wynn was a former actor and a very attractive woman, woman. <laughs> yet according to Lib S., an AA member who thought of Ellen as a, Helen as a sister, people were so taken by Helen's personality that her looks were not something they took particular note of. Um, it doesn't really matter, but it just starts the whole thing with that he had this affair. I don't know why in the movie they, you know, they made a movie about um, really about Lois, and like they never even talk about. It's like so ridiculous. He had an affair with her for fifteen years. Hmm. I, I remember the movie with James Woods and um, James Garner. They played mm-hmm. Doctor Bob. It was My Name Is Bill W. But I, I, I didn't see the film about Lois. I mean, I should see that. Hmm. You know, I know she really endured, a, you know, tolerated a great deal. And when he yeah, was she came from a, yeah. Afterwards, mm-hmm. yeah, she was a wealthy. She came from a wealthy family as well. Um, so, how have you been? Uh, I'm what great. Have you been up to? I'm tired. You, yeah, you, you <laughs> sound a little tired. You did you? Taxi. Yeah, you driving taxi till when? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, no, it's just you know what you're sharing about. Um, so I, I don't know. You, you want to talk more about the uh, the article? Uh, or? Yeah, I would. I would because originally um, Dennis was supposed to call in yeah. uh, from the Orange Papers and to tell his story, which he had written mm. on Orange Papers. So I was blown mm. away by it. But let's talk about the article and um, anything you might know. Um, mm-hmm. um, here's the, the second part of the. I, I got to tell you, like I printed it out. It's. Mm. Seven pages long, the first one. So this is a three-part, and then my printer ran out of ink as I was trying to print <laughs> out the the, mm. the other one. But it's, uh, let's see, the first, just after a few years, Bill Wilson founded the fellowship in 39. Felicia Gizaki, daughter of editor Sissy Patterson, stumbled into a meeting. Um, <clears throat> really, really interesting because of the fact that her mother was such a huge newspaper person. And, you know, we find that some of these people um, have found their way also into publishing, you know, a newspaper who have suppressed the truth in the L.A. Times and the New York Times because you have big-time steppers Mm. who have a lot of time. And, quite frankly, they're very arrogant people. You know, some of them, when they have, you know, they think like, oh, I'm sober all these years and, you know, and I know everything because I'm the only one who know how to stop helping any, you know, somebody from having a drinking problem. It's only one mm-hmm. alcoholic to another, you know, that can do that. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I think it's a really interesting story. Uh, wow, it, it's um, let's see. Went. It talks about. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to have to read it, and maybe yeah. it's going to yeah. maybe have a whole show on it that I can talk about it, right? You know, one of the things, that, you know, for those of us who had bad experiences in AA, and for many of us this was somewhat tra- traumatic, you know, for me it was at some point. Mm-hmm. And they, they, a lot of, you know, those who are, are detractors, they say, oh, we're bashing AA and such, but for me... Uh, it, it helps me to heal from those experiences that I had of being devalued and being, 
you know, the gaslighting, the constant gaslighting experience in AA when you bring certain behaviors to their attention, particularly the so-called old-timers and sponsors, and then they will invariably say, oh, it's not it's not my behavior, it's your perception of my behavior that's wrong. So you have mm-hmm. people who become even more demoralized than when they originally came in, and they wind up becoming a real cipher, a zero, and then they, they you know, that that... that practice in AA where they tear you down and then build you up in their own image so to speak <laughs> and you become right. nothing more than an automaton and yeah it is a really a cult and it's a horrible horrible practice they have well, to, to I, I agree with problem. you I think that um, it is it is traumatic I'm you know watching some other people kind of go through it and uh, it, you know depending on um, what their involvement if they're with somebody who is still mm. in the program and uh, I think that the blogs. Did you ever blog on Stinking Thinking? Uh, yeah, I, I, no, I didn't, but I, I've read it though. I read it. Right. So from the blogs. Mm-hmm. It, it, you can't blog there any, you know, anymore. But um, at least it's up there, you know, as our sort of a archives are all there of all of us when we went through. You know, I certainly got a lot of support there. And as well as, you know, Orange Papers was in the forum yet, so I got a lot of information that, I mean, I think the first time I found Orange, I, every night I was, like, reading for two hours, oh. you know, the Orange Papers, you know, until I, and then it was still in AA. But what happened to you, um, you said it was pretty devastating, um, what happened to you that uh hmm. well, I had similar point? experiences, uh with uh, even as males, you know, there's something that was 13 step. My, my first sponsor attempted that with me. I mean, it's the first time I've shared this on the air with anybody, but he, he attempted that with me. Uh, you know, he had. Wow. I believe he was bisexual, but. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah. But, I mean, he never said that to me, but just by his behavior. And, you know, again, I was. You know, was taken aback by this person who mm-hmm. was acknowledged as being a you know a bastion and respected within the uh, you know that that set of meetings you know out here in Far Rockaway, and then mm-hmm. you know his behavior definitely belied his status of being a quote unquote moral individual. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a, a, they called him the um, um, uh, you know a, a power of example or what have you. So yeah, that, there's there's a lot of um, Wow. How long was he sober? Him? Uh, I'm not going to say his name. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, I think it was like 14 years. About as much 14, 15. No, wait a minute. Uh-huh. He had about four years then. He had about four years. But you know, mm-hmm. his, his behavior was, uh, I observed, not just you know his uh, perhaps attempt to 13-step me at some point. I mean, I had to you know, obviously let that go. I had, didn't deal with him anymore, but... You know, just observing him and uh, his lifestyle, mm-hmm. and how this, you know, again that that hypocrisy, you know, that dichotomous kind of thinking and behavior, you know, cognitive dissonance, you know, that that right. the same, the same behavior that we saw in, in Bill W. Uh, we, I see that I saw that in a lot of, you know, of course, mo- most of that happens to females, but you'll see that, you know, across the board, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely have. Uh, uh, you know, when I first began to hear it, was really only when like, sort of all, it just seemed to break open, you know, all at mm-hmm. once. And that was from um, a gay guy in the West Hollywood meeting who came up to me mm-hmm. with 20 years, and he was like, you know, please, can you help me? And I was like, mm-hmm. 
what do you mean? Like he was actually, you know, kind of grabbing on my my coat, you know, on my arm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, the gay old timers hit her so bad on the guy, gay new guys that they're running to straight meetings. And, um, and you know, for someone to, it was how he said it, what he said, and what he was implying. And then when I said it to other gay people, the way they shrugged it off was kind of disgusting. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I was like, what do you mean, yeah, yeah, yeah? Like, what's wrong? What's wrong with him? Hmm. So, you know, I'm heterosexual, but, I mean, even then, you know, yeah. I, I, I can imagine, like you said, some, particularly those who, who um, and I know there are gay and lesbian meetings, like, you know, specialty meetings, and I guess there's, you know, they have their perhaps own kind of uh, culture there, but it's basically the same, you know, people who who have some influence and use that, you know, for, for so, their own self-interest, at the expense of someone else who is sincere, you know, people come in who are devastated, who are really looking for help, and you have these predators, as you said, sexual and otherwise, people who, who've lost, you know, their their resources financially, who, you know, just there for fodder for a lot of these new old timers' egos, and as soon as a lot of them get a year, you know, in a lot of the meetings, you have to have at least a year in order to be a sponsor. As soon as they get that year, you know, they're they're out there looking for. Um, uh, you know, sponsees to exploit <laughs> like a feather in their cap, you know, one way or another. Right. So, yeah, right, it's, right. it's a very predatory environment. Yeah, it is. And and how long have you been gone? Oh, wow, it's been, like I said, it's like uh, in earnest. I, you know, I still go back every now and then, but in earnest, it was like like when I was still drinking, like in the, uh, uh, the early 90s, you know. Oh, well, like I wow. said, we've got okay. about 15, 16, well, 16 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. <laughs> We're coming up on 16 years without a drink. But, yeah, I mean, you know, those early stages, um, uh, I, I saw a lot, and it just didn't seem to be much different from any kind, any other kind of toxic environment except people, you know, the old, supposedly the old timers weren't drinking or drugging. And when I would see people go out um, and you know, relapse, <clears throat> invariably we blamed it on them, but on second thought, considering, you know, the gauntlet that a lot of people had to, you know, go through, they were probably driven out by people who were trying to exploit them, and they had, you know, at least a vestige of self-respect and dignity that they said, you know, you know, give me liberty or give me death sort of thing, so they they opted mm-hmm. to, to go out and, and, and on their own rather than to allow themselves to be subject to that kind of manipulation. To some degree, I think they had a lot of courage. Those people who left, and, you know, I did too. But I really, at that point, I really didn't have didn't really have a problem <clears throat> with substance. I was looking for, you know, some uh, I guess maybe spiritual understanding or dealing with my own issues with you know self destructive behaviors other than just drinking and drugging. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, I think. Um that for myself too that uh I had stopped already when I went when I found Tom who sort of twelve stepped me but I already stopped drinking but um I was looking for a sort of a spiritual way of life and now I look back and I go, What a joke like <laughs> with so many other religions I a real religion I could have joined at that point and um mm. you know, uh so I d I don't know, maybe this story is more about just looking at this paper here that just that she was a lesbian, and that how that was that would have really um, would have really hurt it. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> he um, 
We have Kenneth Anderson there. Hi, Ken. Hey, I listened to your show last night. I think it was on last night. I listened to it archived. It's very, very good. He had a guy in, in New York who's got a um, um, harm reduction mm-hmm. clinic in the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. And he's from like Sweden or Norway or one of those countries. And his attitude was so fantastic. Uh, I thought it was really, really refreshing. And then he had the the woman who created Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and mm-hmm. um, she's kind of moved on from that. But she, you know, it's interesting how they got um, the TV shows to talk about um, talking about drinking and driving. And um, but I think we now I'm going to try to go. Oh, he's from Holland. Thank you, Kenneth. Uh, really great guy, but he's been in the United States for a really long time. Yeah, I think he's been working as a, a treatment person for 25 or 30 years. But a really loving guy, and talked about that, you know, beating people over the head and telling them it's our way or the highway is really not effective. <laughs> you know, when you're dealing with, and that it's really a choice. You know, um, when people want to stop, it was just really nice to hear you know him talk. And I probably am going to call him and ask him to be on my show, but. From listening to the woman on Mad, you know, I just got the... I mean, I've had the idea to contact some of the writers on some of these shows because they're always, like, referring to, like, going to a meeting and then they have these <laughs> fake sort of meetings that go on, you know, in the... You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. You see a show and you go, mm-hmm. it's really not a meeting. They make it look like there's a leader. And, and that's really a lie. Like, that's really <laughs> misrepresenting to the public. I know it's Hollywood, but there are people who... Like when there was the problem in Nutley, New Jersey, with that church and the parking and the people harassing and sexually harassing the neighbors, um, there were, the, the woman that I spoke to, she thought that there were leaders in AA. Like there was a trained person who ran the meeting. And I was like, oh, no, are you kidding me? Like It's like nobody trained <laughs> leading the meeting. It's like, hmm. you know, uh, just crazy. It, it can be, you know. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so for you, Sal, what, what were uh, there's a tipping point for all of us. It's like um, you know, for me, I think Christine Cass's and Sandra Cass's murder um, in Hawaii were were it for me, as well as um, because they were court ordered. He was sentenced to AA, and um, he kind of hid that. And um, uh, the, it was the also the reaction of the service structure here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm when we were just trying to make it safer and have people make announcements and have workshops. That was it for me. Uh, well, what was it for you that you said, you know, uh, I don't want to come here on a regular basis. I don't believe what you're saying. What what happened? Well, I think uh, it had a lot to do with so many inconsistencies and that I just didn't, it didn't seem to ring true for me. Um, I know that I wanted support. But it it didn't see. For example, you know, when you reach out to, uh, they say that you know you can't keep it unless you give it away. That you know, like the twelfth step, which is you know you mm-hmm. carry the message to people, and you know it's about being egoless. But I sense that every time I reached out to somebody, and then I started reading the literature more, and especially working with others, and and as it was outlined in the big book. Um, Working with others was primarily listening to the other person, mm-hmm. but the experience that I had with the people, the old timers, was that uh, the slogan somewhat uh, contradicted 
what the book was saying, you know, take the cotton out of your ears, put it in your mouth, basically <laughs> telling you to shut up. But yeah. um, it wasn't validating at all. And I was like, well, okay. <clears throat> and then when I would quote the uh, uh, the, this, the, uh, the big book and say, well, this is what the big book is saying, or even if I didn't quote it, just when I referred to it and, and reflected on it, it um, I would get these dismissive statements from old timers. Well, you can, you know, your thinking's upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. They were basically beating me up with these slogans to get me to conform. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sensed that that even though I wasn't drinking or drugging, that you know I felt as though you know what kind of life is this? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I felt as I was better off you know trying to find my own way. Again, I mean I had already stopped using it and and right. at some point and I wasn't. But they wanted to tell me that the credit was for was the fellowship and I think basically that that's what it is. It was just like this at some point me interacting with the old timers, uh some of the old timers and I saw a lot of hypocrisy, I saw people being ostracized, I saw a lot of clickishness, um and I kept trying to overlook it and it just was not it wasn't working for me. So I guess at some point I just fell away and got involved in, in, you know, went to the military and got involved with a lot of other stuff. And that kind of just by celebrating life, it it just, Mm -hmm. you know, my sense that I needed the 12-step program just somewhat fell away. Mm. It's interesting. I really, you know, talking to you makes me, you know, I really relate to you. It makes me feel sane because when when I left, I felt really like alone. Um, and even though I was blogging, um, I didn't know anybody personally, uh, you know, or spoke to anybody on the phone who had sort of been through it. But as I reached out, I met people on the blog who I was on the phone with who did, you know, and you know, and I finally met Hank when he was out here. It was it was really great to, you know, meet someone else in person and talk about it. And I, and I get that sense that, and you know what, if, if I come to New York to do any shooting of any footage, you know, from my film, I'll I'll, I'll give you a ring. Sure. And, um, you know what? Um, but so, what did you um, find? As um, you said, you got involved in the military, and did you go back to school, or had you already gotten? Yeah, degree? you know, I got the MSW. You know, went to got you know some graduate degrees. Actually, did some counseling. But but I think uh, the most important thing for me is that I segued from the twelve step program to another. Uh, pursuit that gave my life meaning i think that's the most important thing that you know that that the solution is like kind of a displacement when you first come into the 12-step program they tell you that your meaning meaning of life is higher power fellowship that they outline for you they package it for you what what and dictate to you is you know coercive somewhat that this is what your life is supposed to be and they don't you you have they don't allow you they disallow introspection and you know your unique personality type or your your wishes or or your history or who you are you, again you become a cipher but when i went to the military and you know focused on that and went to school it was just one thing to the next and i think you said that when i heard you interview hank i think that that's something that he said you know he had a, his life was you know was was fulfilling it was meaningful so that that's I think that what really uh kept me afloat and I didn't realize was because I had um all these things, you know, the military and then going to school that kept me um 
and I grew in terms of my sense of self-efficacy and my sense of worth as a human being. And for me, I think that that was at the core, you know, why I kept going back to drugs and alcohol is that um, a sense that I was I was nothing. You know, I didn't feel as though uh, I, you know, didn't have the social skills or didn't feel at some mm-hmm. point in my, in my using history I, I began to lose faith in myself and I couldn't see, of, even though at some point I did become religious and, you know, I still do adhere to a particular religion, but at that point in my life I needed to believe more in myself than, you know, the locus of control kind of thing. Than, yeah, a, than a higher yeah. power and somebody else, you know. Right, It was right. about loving myself, not loving mm-hmm. something, you know, replacing the substance with the fellowship or with, you know, God. That was like magical thinking, you know. So, I, I really, really relate. I think that if I was, like, when I came in, it was, uh, you know, I went to my first meeting, it was in 75. They were way more laid back, you know, it was in Kailua, Hawaii, so it was not even Honolulu. The meetings were uh, strongly influenced by some of the hippie people that were there and you know they were more of although one was 13 stepping me and but um it soon ended because that was his pattern um that many of them said very they were very laid back and um i was very young uh so there was a lot of slogans and stuff that wasn't said and that when i read the book i was like i mean i didn't trust them and i didn't tr- well why would i you know after you know been there a minute and then get 13 stepped but um, that the thing I relate to you is that I would see certain things like if somebody said that kind of thing like you know take the cotton out of my like it's like excuse me like what are you talking about like either you say this or, but the sad thing is that I still got hooked you know what I mean like the part that I find disturbing looking back of the 36 years is that as smart as I am or as rebellious and independent that they, there's this whole it's almost like that salesman bullshit about Bill W, you know, that convincing of, like, why I was an alcoholic, you know, and maybe I wasn't. Like, I was a teenager. I mean, yeah, I had problems, and yeah, I, you know, um, dropped out of school and stuff. But, uh, you know, to call somebody that at, as a teenager now, I think is, um, I think it's criminal. And I think that for people to stand around and, and try to help you figure out why you should stay and identify, don't compare. Um, you know, those sayings are, um, that's cult. You know, for me, it's very yes. culty. And um, that the stuff that's, just the fact that it was such an old book that these people were, like, looking to for answers for their whole lives. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. and it actually, you know, my, my life downward spiraled to get worse uh until it got better when i had like 3 years because of the predatory men uh that were there and there it was like way better than it is now you know um you know i want to say monica you know i really commend you for you know you really have a lot of fortitude and a lot of character that you endured that for so long <laughs> really really <laughs> really you know i i really give you a lot of credit cuz you know, you know they talk a lot about in the fellowship that that kind of thing will drive people out and to endure that you know really i mean i know you're going to write are you writing a book about it <laughs> not thinking about that but really you know cuz i've seen it i've seen it and it's relentless i've seen guys you know women in the in the meetings and it's relentless relentless did you, ever, did you ever go to St. Mark's, and uh, they used to call it Circus Circus, uh, 
it's it's no longer there anymore. But that was a meeting in Manhattan, and I would go there, and that's that's all you would see is just people just hitting on each other all the time. Mm. Yeah. Where's at St. Mark's Place? Yeah, exactly. You remember Circus Circus? I mean, they closed. No. The yeah, because but what, when I went, I came back from Hawaii, and I went to meetings. I went downtown, and I didn't like them because they appeared to be like somewhat culty. I mean, there was something about them. They were telling me like what I should be doing and that I shouldn't be going to bars because I was going to bars to hang out with my friends, mm-hmm. and I'd go to the park where my friends were. I mean, I was 18, but I went to meetings in my neighborhood, and that that was really scary. Like there were these old Irish men and women, <laughs> and the women would walk around the meeting pouring mm-hmm. coffee and giving really delicious Irish homemade soda bread. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found meetings like maybe on a hundred and like eighties, and they were it seemed like a little more normal, but they were it was something very like old about it compared to Hawaii. Like there wasn't the the California hippie influence wasn't there. And but I went and um, I, I I forget the question. I'm so sorry. I went off on a tangent about the Irish. No. <laughs> 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 I'm doing a cleanse, and I'm like, you know, just doing juicing and juicing. And so by now, I'm like, ooh, Irish coffee. I mean, Irish soda bread and some coffee. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I have started to write. It started with me thinking I could write a really thin self-help book because I began to see there were so many things, for my money, wrong with the program, and I was sponsoring women that I could see them really, they get to a place, and that was it. Like, you can't. You can't make this more than it is, and I really, you know, I saw that at four years sobriety. So I started doing that, and then the this, this stuff kind of blew up in my face through my taking my son to a meeting, and then me meeting Callie, and then me becoming a GSR. And so now, I mean, I'm, I'm making a documentary about it. Oh wow! Mm. Yeah, you didn't know that. Yeah, I think. You yeah, know? I remember you did. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, but maybe there's a book after that. But the documentary <laughs> and the activism that goes along. Mm. With kind of exposing what's going on, and and I would like to, you know, I want the world to know that there's things like Smart and Women for Sobriety, or there's, you know, like Hank Kayes' book or Amy Lee's book, Amy Lee Coy's book. There's people like Amy who, like, wrote a book, and that's how she finally, like, straightened out, by self, through self-care. Hmm. You know, I mean, that, that means, like, you know, when I think of, you know, Whitney Houston, how she died, and Amy Winehouse, like, I'd really like to sit down with their parents and say, did you guys shove 12 step down this two women's throat? You know, insisting on, like, you know, when someone, I ran into a woman at a party, and she was, like, you know, apologizing to me because she didn't really like having a sponsor. She didn't like somebody telling her what to do, and I said, why do you need a sponsor? You're a grown woman. Exactly. Why do you need somebody to tell, what the, I mean, that part of, of of the, that is the Pacific group. That is very much the Pacific group's cult uh, Clancy-esque um, treatment hmm. center trying to morph AA into something. The word sponsor, I mean, you know what? <laughs> if they would have said to me, I was going to have somebody tell hmm. me what to do and where to go, I would have said, fuck you. They're gurus. I mean, in essence, they're gurus, you know, or, or confessors like priests, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very Catholic, very parochial. Nothing wrong with Catholic religion, but... You know, if you go for substance abuse problem with dependence, you're looking for treatment, not a social movement, and that's what it right. is. Right. We had somebody um, was working with Annette who was working on my film with me, and um, 
amazing young woman, and um, she read this line. I'm going to pull it out, and I wrote it down because it's so amazing. I hope it's right here in the book because they're somebody who is not pro the program. Um, If alcoholism was a disease, then wouldn't a DUI be a form of discrimination? Mm, exactly, right. Uh-huh. Wasn't that, I, I think, I yes. don't know where she, she pulled it off the Internet. So if alcoholism was a disease, wouldn't a DUI be a form of discrimination? So it's not a disease. No. It's not a disease. And this is the part, there's so many aspects of this whole, like, you know, whole institution. It's become an institution that, you know, the, from the breaking down that Bill W. was a sexual predator. He was not an icon. He was not a great leader. He was a terrible leader. Mm. There's all kinds of things wrong with him. He actually and, relapsed. He started taking with Tim, Timothy Leary. He started taking <laughs> LSD when he already supposedly had not had a drink. But I know they use lysergic acid as a, as a, uh, <laughs> the experiment to, uh, to help alcoholics, but since he hadn't had a drink, what was he taking LSD for? In essence, he right. he, he relapsed. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, people who of a, any generation would know that that's, you know, somebody who's dropping acid, and I heard that he did it for actually a very long time trying to mm. find a cure, but that would make sense, and I hope, you know, it, that he um, um, was, I think, wrote the traditions and the <laughs> the concepts when he was doing that, the same period, and I said, you know, they are nuts. If you ever try to read <laughs> the concepts, right, they are so effing crazy. That I you think- know, the Beatles said that they, they did the White Album while they were dropping asses, you know, during that time, so I don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't White, know, you know. You know, the White Album was great, but there were songs on there yeah, that were just yeah, a little bit over right. the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that um, one of this, next week I'm going to do a show, and I'd love you to call in, if you would. Sure, I asked sure. a few other people, uh, is this a better time? Or I mean, I've been, I did it earlier for um, for Dennis, but um, well, we can talk later about that. But yeah. here's the thing. Is it about the 12 traditions? Like, mm. are they even legal today? So that mm. if if you have young people who are thinking that the that that alcohol that we're anonymous like oh that you can't like so that means what the traditions are go like they are, they're above the law like mm. not even the saying that they're above the law but okay so here we have what are they hmm. they're not they're um what are the words for uh you know in a um when you have a company you have procedures and policies hmm. procedures and policies you have a policy on sexual harassment you have an HR policy. You have policy when you when you're an organization, you're a nonprofit organization in the United States of America, and you are a board member. You have a fiduciary responsibility to your members. Exactly. Okay. So if you know that sexual harassment and sexual deviation and um, let's see, assault and rape. And what's the latest story? That guy who took $23 million? Did you see that story? No. What happened? What oh, happened? my God. Yeah, there's another story. Let me see if I can get to the website. So it's on um, It's on Leaving AA. On the, the, um, you know what? Let's see. 
APA landmark. No, that's not that story. Here it is. AA sponsor Ira Pressman sentenced to prison for eight years for oh seven million. Sorry, seven million dollars from twenty three people in a Ponzi scheme. Hmm. Um, and he, yeah. So it's on. It's not the top story, but it's like a couple three down. Um, AA sponsor uh, and the judge got pretty mad. If you follow the link to the story, uh, he. You know, he he was he, totally talking that AA talk, you know, like, I know what I did is wrong, and, you know, I'm sorry for what I did, you know. And uh, he was a sponsor, and he, the judge, you know, gave him as much as uh, he could. Um, yeah, it's so, um, that was a story that I think I read last week. Uh, you should see his little happy face here. He's really Mr. A1, AA Creepo. But <laughs> I, I looked that up. I, did you did you hear like here in New York State about? I remember years ago, uh, I think it was in either in the '90s or maybe the early '90s that there was a man who went to a meeting here in New York State, and he had uh, uh, said that after I think he had about two years at the time, he shared it in a meeting in an open meeting, you know, um, that. Um, he had murdered two people. I think they were Filipino. He went to his old house in the blackout uh, when he was still drinking, and wow. they were they were in the house, and he murdered them. And you know, he admitted that you know it was supposedly life of rigorous honesty. And he shared that in the meeting. And some of the people in the meeting went to the police and told them. And now he's in you know um, he's in jail. And and I know that there are a lot of people in the meeting who were angry at the other. Uh, the commentary that I got from other AA members was that you know they should never they shouldn't have done that mm. you know they should not have told the police oh my God. to the police they violated it. <laughs> yeah you know yeah dude you're not a priest you know you're not a psychotherapist you know even even they have relative confidentiality and they tell you know they have a mandate to report abuse. Right, right. They they were crazy. Right. So that's what needs to happen with AA is they have to be mandated to um, report abuse and that they, I mean, it just should become a zero tolerance for um, the same thing that would go on in the Boy Scouts of America or the Big Brothers and Sisters or at your job, you know, that if you're hit on in a meeting and if you're a sponsor and you've hit on a newcomer that's like a therapist hitting on um, your clients. And, uh, you know, it's... um, I, I agree. I agree. Now you said that um, in, in talking, telling your story, that sometimes you drop in. Do you drop in to um, to like, maybe let people know what all you know now? Uh, no, I, actually, you know, it's kind of a little devilish if I'm. <laughs> I go to kind of, kind of uh, like a little sardonic humor just to observe. You know, kind of honestly, kind of slumming at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I find it rather humorous. It's still it's mind-boggling to me the, the the statements that are made and the amount of ignorance. So sometimes I will just go in. Maybe there's a part of me that's familiar, and I did meet some nice people, but um, and there's still people. You know, there's just people there. But as you said, maybe you know, there's. I think I have this this underlying sense that maybe there will be somebody who's it's like heterodox or who's looking for an alternative. And if I hear them, I may just say it. But I go very infrequently now, maybe once every three, four months, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know just, but it's like a habit, I guess. You know, it's just, you know, I just, I guess maybe you can identify that, you know, just reaching out to people who are hurting. 
that it's yeah. good that you mm-hmm. yeah no I, mm-hmm. I think that um I I get a lot of that um you know sort of camaraderie now with the bloggers and I have enough that I pick up the phone and and call them and have friendships with people like yourself mm-hmm. um or you know um, different friends that I have from the blogs. But um, I did get the opportunity to, I did go to one because Keeper spoke, who the woman whose son was molested, raped mm. and murdered by his sponsor. Wow. And that, yeah, her story is just, you know, so I, she was speaking and I, she actually asked me to speak. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, um, you know, it was a smaller hall with maybe 25 people and I had to drive far, you know, on a Sunday morning, but... I let him have it. I really did. Wow. I, I mean, I, I said what I felt, and like they, they were reading the chapter three when it said science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. And I said, you know, is anybody like listening? Like, you know, I didn't talk like that because that's really nastily arrogant. But, you know, I said to myself, like, wow, like, do you realize what we just read? We just said that that's this was written in thirty six. Science has accomplished a lot since 1936. <laughs> like, you know yes, what I mean? And, and, and to the point, and, and I started on, and they started yelling out at me, like, that's an out... I started talking about 13-stepping, and mm. some of the women were like, that's an outside issue. And I thought, wow, maybe they're the 13-steppers who were, go after the new young guys. Mm. And I said, no, no, it's not. And then, you know, I started talking about smart and, you know, other things, and that we're not the only game in town. And some girl was like, well, this is an AA meeting. And I said, yeah, that's right, it is. I said, but, you know, if you guys really care, if you really care about people who are coming here and having a problem, mm. there's people who this is not going to work for, and you could be educated enough to not be mean and punitive and say, exactly. you know, just do your steps right, and why don't you read the mm. book right, and why don't you do another, maybe you're not enough service, or you're not doing this or that. And instead you could say, you know, did you know that there's other programs now? Like, did you try SMART? Have you gone online and seen Rational? And and they said, no, no, instead, you want to think, no, AA is the only way. AA is like, mm. you know, you're just not doing it right. Which, you know, to, to be honest, I've been there. I thought like that once. Mm. And thought, you know, and then I got to a place where I started thinking, you know, there's something to this that's not... You know, it's no, that's not right, and there must be other things. I mean, I can't even, believe, I can't believe what I found. That, and that's the part that I think is sad, Sal. Okay. Well, then yeah. I think that you know, me, you knew when you knew, but I didn't know about um, Smart Recovery that's been around what 14 years. Women for Sobriety has been around 25 years. Mm. SOS has been around 25 years. No promotion, no push. Rational has been around. As far- Oh wow! Life is, ring, life ring is out there. Li- it's pretty good. Mm. Yeah, life ring. Although I've heard some bad trolling stuff going on with life ring on the internet. Well, you can but tell me about it later. <laughs> yeah, I will. I better the, the yeah. show is mm. I, my show is mm. coming to an end. I can't believe mm. the time is like flying like this. Mm. But um, it's really been really great. Uh, thank you, Sal, so much thank for you, calling Monica. in, and we can talk. Mm. You know, uh, any whatever this. Um, if you want to call in. Next week we're going to do a show on mm. the twelve traditions. I'll try. I'm sorry I didn't make it the last time I said I was going to, but it just you know I said my friend may come on the show, but in any yeah. case, yeah, that's okay. That didn't good. work out. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, that's good. Thanks so much for calling in, and thanks everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Take Monica. Care. All right, bye bye, Sal. Bye. Bye bye.